0: Thanks so much, Josh. Mary and I are really pleased to be with you in worship. We were actually here six years ago when we were in Australia last time, and uh, so it's good to be joining you again. And we've ha- had a few folks from your church, Josh and Sherilyn, of course, but Paul and Jenny and Allie and others have been in Vancouver, and so uh, lots of friendly faces here. Really enjoyed Friday night and being with folks from your community and and talking a little bit about what we're going to talk about today, about about how do we love our neighbors and be in our neighborhoods in very open ways. I want to preface what I'm going to say this morning by just acknowledging that we're living in an age of such rapid transitions. And there's, that's true in so many areas of life, and you can think about your own life and the kinds of transitions that you're in the middle of. And transitions are certainly a part of church life these days, aren't they? And I think COVID has exposed and in some ways accelerated the transitions that are being called forth from churches uh, in an age, in a a day when Christianity is on the back burner for a lot of society as we become more secular. And Vancouver and Brisbane have a lot in common in in that way, both pretty secular cities. And many of our models of church that have sufficed during the past, you know, 100 or 200 or 300 years are, are showing some cracks, and, and, and we're, we're seeing that. And we're being pulled towards new kinds of, of transitions. Now, transitions can sometimes be difficult, can't they? Because we can often experience transition as loss. Um, but transitions can also be opportunities to turn our attention to God and they can prompt us to seek what the Spirit is doing in our lives and our communities and our world. And my desire this morning is to do just that it's to turn our attention to God, particularly to one action of God, which is God's lavish welcome and hospitality. God's lavish welcome and hospitality in Christ and through the Spirit. I want to draw our attention to this amazing vision of the Trinitarian God who welcomes us into the circle of divine love. That's the foundational element that has stretched us at Grandview, at times humbled us, and most importantly, it's led us to participate anew in God's mission. So to, to lead us towards that, I want to invite us to look at this short text from Luke chapter 14, uh, this parable of God's extravagant hospitality. So, listen to Jesus' words. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed. Now, I want to say off the top that I find this parable extremely challenging. I don't know about you, but this doesn't describe most of my parties that uh, host at our home. How often do we have those kind of parties where the people who don't get invited are the ones who are there? Yet, this was reflective of Jesus' parties. And one more really important point about these parties. Jesus' parties weren't just festive occasions, uh, pointing out what a good guy he was or how different his parties were. These were signs, signals, that God was now acting to fulfill the promises we find in the Old Testament of God coming to restore God's people. These meals were a sign that God was acting to restore the long-promised vision of the Old Testament to bring about healing and hope for the poor and the outsider. You know, one really interesting exercise you might want to do sometime is to read through just the Bible with an eye towards all the festivals or feasts or parties that are held in the Bible. And look at the shape of those festivals. Uh, When you do, you will see that what Jesus says here is not out of tune with what we find in Scripture. Just let me give you a couple examples. In the description of the festivals in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, the people are called to set out the red carpet for foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. A lot like Jesus' parties. Or take the end of the picture painted in Isaiah of how the Lord will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and well-aged wines. He will wipe away all the tears from their faces, and the disgrace of the people he will take away from the earth. And now here is Jesus taking away the disgrace of people that so often aren't invited to these feasts, seating them at his table. So when Jesus moves throughout Palestine throwing these feasts with all the marks of the, the meals that are described in the Old Testament. Let the reader understand, Jesus is inaugurating God's kingdom come. Jesus is establishing the kind of world that God envisions for our cities today. New Testament scholar Christopher Stendhal said years ago that wherever the kingdom of God is, there is welcome. Wherever the kingdom of God is there is welcome. What it also highlights for me is that how we eat together carries a lot of significance. carries a lot of significance, how we eat together. If we want to share in God's hospitality, we'll widen our tables to welcome others. Now, in the parable that follows this one, we see that not everybody was getting on board with what Jesus was doing. In fact, we find in the parable, sometimes called the Great Banquet, that people had a lot of excuses for not coming and participating in these parties that Jesus was was throwing. In fact, one um, biblical commentator, Kenneth Bailey, who grew up in the Middle East and, and, and understood the culture, said, you know, these excuses were pretty lame. Like nobody, for example, said would buy um, cows without going to check them out beforehand it's like buying five houses and then you would check them out before you bought them and so these are kind of excuses the one excuse in the parable about you know i can't come because i just got married and and you know, there was a tradition of having a year of being away in the old test when you got married well well he's this is a more legitimate excuse but it also gets at jesus saying even our families can't be excuses For us, not participate in the kingdom of God. What the parable, that parable makes clear is that some of the invited guests were missing out on what God was doing through Jesus. And in Jesus, God's welcome was extending to the very edges of society. And most of the respectable people weren't joining in. They weren't getting in on what Jesus was doing. I hope you just feel the p- challenge of this par- this parable this morning as we read it. Um, when I taught a course uh, this past year with church leaders and uh, we looked at this parable. Yeah, I want to switch here to the next. There we go. I like this picture of it is, is this vision of people just Sharing life together. Uh, Reminded, just when I saw this this morning again, I was thinking, Pete and Dot, that probably looks like you're you're, uh, gathering a little bit. Um, um, In the course that I taught this past year, we looked at this parable together, and we we did. We felt the challenge of it. And this is what some of the responses that people said. You know, yeah, we see the call of God's welcome, but we're so tired. We're so tired. There's no way that we can be welcoming like this. Between our work, our responsibilities, our family, all the adjustments of COVID, we're just so tired. And here's the kicker that for me when someone said, no, we're too busy doing church to offer this kind of welcome to others. Ouch. How can we welcome in this way that Jesus did? Well, let me tell you some stories from Grandview's experience of how, despite our reluctance, And excuses, we found ourselves being pulled into participating in God's hospitality to the neighbor, the stranger, the poor, and the outsider. And uh, the journey has involved a struggle to adjust our ways of living, um, to be able to participate in this welcome, living in a culture of autonomy and consumerism. We've had to make some adjustments. We've had to confess and repent, for example, of living in a culture of entertainment, being drawn so easily, slipping into that. I'm going to tell you some of these stories, not so that you'll do all of them, certainly that you won't make all the mistakes that we did, um, but to give you, to spark your imagination for ways that maybe you're being called to take some steps towards participating in God's welcome with your neighbors. So again, we, we've been invited. Let's be alert to the nudges of the Spirit as we listen today. Let your imaginations wander a little bit as you listen to these stories. Um, one of the first discoveries of God's welcome that came when we started a community meal in our church basement. And uh, we offered overnight shelter. It was first called Out of the Cold and then Crossroads. And I like that name, Crossroads because it became a place where a lot of people who had, you know, had a little bit more education, maybe a little bit more income, were, were meeting with people who had less education, less income perhaps, and there was a coming together and a, a shared humanity there. It was one of what sociologists call third spaces. It wasn't a public space, it wasn't a private space, it was somewhere in between, where people could build trust and relationships together. And I think we need more of those spaces in the culture of isolation. So for over 25 years, we had that meal with folks in our neighborhood who live on or near the street. In 10 years, we offered overnight stay uh, where people could stay during the colder times of the year. Um, It was really a neighbor who challenged us in this direction. I was at a meeting with other people who worked in the neighborhood, social service folks, educators, teachers, and so forth. And one person said to me, Tim, what are the churches doing for the increasing number of homeless people on Commercial Drive where we lived? And I said, nothing that I know of. And I brought that story back to our church on Sunday morning. And I said, look, if anybody wants to talk about this, let's talk. And so about 15 people gathered after worship. We began to do some research, look at possibilities. Six months later, we brought a proposal to the church meeting and out of the cold started and became a really pivotal meeting place and learning place for all of us. That meal has been a place for bringing together people from differing economic, social, and educational backgrounds and becoming friends. And it, 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 that discovery led us to take further steps of welcome. And one of those was to welcome people into our homes, And that was the mission of Salisbury Community Society. Um, Salisbury began when a group of people looked at forming a a community in a a home that had been a senior's home and that was being sold, and we wanted to turn it into kind of a wider community. As it turns out, the city was going to require seismic upgrading if it shifted from being a senior's home to a community house. We said they didn't mind if it fell down on older people, they didn't want it falling down on younger people. Um uh, <coughs> if you're in urban planning, you know it's not quite that way. But, anyways, we thought that vision was was dead, and we didn't we thought maybe this vision of sharing life in homes with others was dead, and then we we met Charles and Rita Ringma, who some of you know. And Charles and Rita shared with us the vision of and work of teen challenge and how they welcome people into homes in geographic proximity to each other. And we thought, oh, we could do that. And so we started with the two homes. That the church owned right beside its its building, and two other houses, and that began the, the, the was the beginnings of sharing life together, in homes. And at one point, we had I think sixteen houses where people were living together and sharing, um, making room for others, particularly those who were more vulnerable. It's been our own family's journey over thirty years. It all kind of started for us with an immigrant family that needed some space, and then a single mother that needed space, and then another woman who was going through divorce and depression needed a space. And they all stayed for about a year and a half. And we realized, okay, we, we can do this. We can we can share our homes. And it was kind of an incremental learning. At first it seemed like not so, and then it kind of became part of a norm um, that normal way of living that we could do this together someone said in Vancouver that one of Vancouver's biggest problems is too many empty bedrooms there's too many empty bedrooms around I wonder if that's a Brisbane problem too in a housing in a a city with a housing crisis one thing you learn with when you share life in this deeper way with others is that there a mutuality develops in this welcome um, and it's especially important to be invited into other people's homes. I learned that with a group of folks that arrived on our doorstep from Myanmar from Burma, and they wanted to do a Bible study together. Some of them were Christians, some weren't, and I couldn't find anybody else to do it. so I did it on a Saturday night. It wasn't my favorite thing. I kind of you know was a little uptight going to it because I had lots of on my mind and things to think about. And uh, it was not always easy to, to be in this group because some of the folks spoke Burmese, some of them spoke Korean, and it would take like half an hour to go through two verses in the Bible and to translate everything. And they had this fish soup that did not work for my stomach. And so um, uh, every time that I ate it, I, you know. And so I was kind of always nervous going there on a Saturday night. But when I left that house... I felt like the Spirit's air had come back into my lungs. And uh, that we were, again, sharing, in, um, sharing in, in life together with them and with God. And uh, some of the folks, Winston and Julie, became leaders in our church. Winston actually became a pastor now of a church that has people from all over East Asia. And it's, it's been an ongoing story that God has done through that Beginning, receiving the welcome of those that we participate in is part of the welcome of God. This house is one of the houses that we that we started community house and those those dots were actually painted by an Aussie. So there you go. Just let you know. Let me tell you one more, um, two more responses we made. Two houses that are always filled have the name Kinbrace, which comes from the two words kinship and embrace. And Kinbrace began over 25 years ago when Lauren and Tama had a dream of providing a home and support for refugee claimants, those people coming to your border and making a claim for asylum. Kinbrace is two houses side by side with 10 suites where refugee claimants um, are welcomed to and help through their refugee process. Those that get a positive determination are helped to find more permanent housing and settlement. About 500 people now have gone through Kinbrace, and they have not only found a welcome, they, Kinbrace has started to influence the entire refugee system across the country through developing a new guide for refugee claimants. That's Kinbrace, some folks from there. Let me tell you about this house as well. One more response that we launched six years ago uh, the Cohere project on the corner of 1st and Victoria. A uh, little bit of the story here, over a decade ago, we purchased uh, uh, the lot adjacent to our parking lot with the intention of moving our drop-in centre that we had at the time there. Um, that didn't work, but that began a long journey where we began to explore what can we do with this, this land over there. And eventually, we, we settled on developing this housing project. What does COHERE look like? Well, the COHERE project involves underground parking um, for mostly the church because most people don't, uh, that are on social assistance that live in the building don't require, don't have cars, and so don't need parking. And then there's an outdoor garden space. You can't see too much on the other side of this picture. And then the, the bottom floor is all community space, a community kitchen, dining room, living room, some office space, guest rooms, and so forth. One reason why I'm excited about this project is because I believe it can be something of a model for other faith communities um, to motivate them to use their parking lot and land assets to build affordable housing. Not only can building affordable housing help reroute a church in a neighborhood, but it can also, in significant ways, uh, bear witness to the the fact that the church cares about people who don 't have homes, and you think about what the 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 witness of that could the difference that could make in the perception of the church in our cities you know there 's an urgency for churches to consider this. I just pulled together thirty people from across Canada to talk about how we can kind of further this conversation across churches. In Canada, because so many of these churches are being bought up for private development, that are closing, and we're losing the opportunities for these spaces to become places of welcome. You know, I think participating in God's welcome in different ways um, is part of the, the the path to healing for our society, which is so. Polarized. There's an urgency about participating in this welcome of God, um, not just for our church's well-being or for the mission of, of welcoming people to Christ, but so that we can see society flourish and move beyond the kind of suspicion of neighbors and hatred of others and move towards the kind of healing that God desires for society. In a world with polarization and inequality and war, welcoming the stranger, including our enemies, is like bringing antibiotics into an infection, bringing healing from the inside out. In this way, the parable does confront us with a choice. It confronts us with the choice. Will we make excuses that result in our failure to make room in our lives, our homes, our neighborhoods and cities for the poor and the outsider? Will we ta- will we just kind of passively um, perpetrate the status quo? Or we will or will we participate in the healing and renewal of our cities? That's the one of the, the, the questions, the parable confronts us with this morning. Let me tell you the really good news about the parable. And I've said the best news for the last is, as good preachers should. Um, uh, The truth is this, the lavish welcome of the Spirit is so great that we don't have to wait until we have our act all together, or until we've got all our work done, or until our family is completely taken care of, And all our responsibilities are filled to participate in this welcome. The welcome of God is so lavish and so present everywhere that we can share in this welcome in the midst of our messy and incomplete lives. Even in our places of need. Even when we are tired and worn out. Three final stories that speak to this particular aspect of God's welcome. When we moved to Vancouver, Mary and I grew up in other parts of Canada, and we didn't have any grandparents there. And as we started to have the first of our three boys, and then our second, and as Um, soccer matches started on Saturday I was thinking of Josh and Sherlyn getting all their boys to soccer yesterday and probably some of you were doing similar things we started to get a little bit stressed out Mary was teaching piano on Saturday mornings at the time and and we needed help and so we approached a woman uh, the husband and a a woman from our church who was kind of an outsider not really involved that much at the time. And her husband, who didn't participate in the church, we said, look, we need grandparents. We need help on Saturday mornings. And Nick and Eleanor became our grandparents to our kids. And uh, they adopted them and Nick was driving our, our boys around all over the Lower Mainland eventually to participate in soccer matches. And, uh, and they, they had five children but no grandkids and never did get any grandkids. And so for them, this was a great gift too, that they could be grandparents with our kids. In fact, when Nick passed away a few years ago, Mitchell, our youngest, gave such a moving speech of the impact of Nick upon his life. We needed them, and we welcomed them in, and they were a gift to us in the process of them adopting our kids. A recent story in my life that's reminded me of this importance of making room for others. I was flying home on a plane uh, about a month ago to Vancouver, and I sat next to a woman, a young woman from Bangladesh, um, who had never been out of her country, and she was traveling to Vancouver to study I- in Vancouver and uh, she was nervous anxious she, for one thing she didn 't know how she was going to get all her luggage, these two big crates of stuff to her airbnb, and I said, "Look, you relax when my wife picks me up, we have a van we 'll take you there we'll we 'll get you settled." And we did that, and the next day I had a meeting canceled. And so she came to our house. I took her downtown to find her school. Mary and I took her out for dinner. She came the next day with her friend who had arrived from Bangladesh that night. And, and they, need, they weren't finding housing. And so we said, look, stay with us for two weeks until renovations start in our basement. And then after they stayed with us, they moved into Kohir's guest room for a week. And they started to meet all the, the folks there. And Orpita sends me this lovely message. She says, oh, it's so fun. We're gossiping with everybody. She didn't know that we had a negative idea. And, uh, and uh, it was being welcomed. These two Muslim women welcomed into the, light, the Christian community by this one small gesture of saying, hey, we'll take your, your stuff to your house. Now, Orpita calls us auntie and uncle. We've met her family over video, and, um, and just there's a love there already um, for this young woman. One last story, and then I'll close. Years ago... I interviewed a man during our worship who uh, was, was an outsider in many ways growing up. He lost his dad as a kid by the time he was 30. He would lost 80% of his vision, and he anticipated losing his sight altogether. And a few years later, he lost his job. He couldn't work anymore, and he was living off of a disability pension. At one low point in his life, he tried to take his own life. Part of the healing came when the church really embraced him. He found a place to belong in a home group. He'd been invited to take up some leadership roles. He'd been welcomed into people's homes. And importantly to him, he was welcomed to live in the Cohere building when he lost his apartment. And uh, he found that stable place to, to be. All that mattered, and he talked about that one Sunday when I interviewed him. But what stuck out to me most was what he said right at the end of the interview. He said these words. I've really appreciated the welcome I've received in this community. But what made me feel like I really belonged here is when I began to welcome people into my home, when they came, when I made a meal for them. That's when I felt like I belonged. You know, he discovered that he could participate in the welcome of God that he had received, he can extend to other people. That's the call today. It's to receive this incredibly lavish welcome of God, each one of us, and then to extend that welcome to the poor, the refugee, the person without a home, the person on the edge. You know, in a culture so suspicious of Christianity, and sometimes with good reason, sharing in the lavish welcome of God is not only a way to subvert that suspicion. It may hold the key to the church's, the recovery of the church's participation in the mission of God and in our own renewal in our faith with Christ. So how is your imagination being stirred today? How is the spirit nudging you to participate in the welcome of God, even in your messy and broken and incomplete lives? I'm just going to give you a second to sit with that question. And to think about that question. How's the spirit nudging you to participate in the welcome of God in the midst of your own incomplete and sometimes messy life?